0: we started this series last week talking about core values and we said core values are those things that sort of define us. They're the things that, that are important to us. And when we started Heritage, there were a few things that we wrote down and we said, this is, this is what we want to characterize us. These are some things that we think are really important to us. And we started out last week and we talked about intimacy, uh, intimacy with God. And we said that one of our goals as, as a church is not just to know about God, not just to come up and, and show up on Sunday mornings and and have a great time, have some good music, you know, and and uh, everybody leave feeling great. And but we wanted to be a church that sort of led people towards growing, and and having an intimate relationship with the Lord. And we said last week that to have people not just to know about God, but to know Him through experience. It's one thing when you go out and you repeat something that we've heard. It's another thing when you tell a story that's specifically happened to you. It's totally different. And we said last week that our intimacy with God is a lot like our intimacy with one another. Three things that are really important. Time, uninterrupted time. And I don't know how much time you spend with the Lord. If if Sunday mornings is all you spend, you're missing out. Yeah, you're missing out. Uninterrupted time, not only just talking to him, but listening to him. You'll hear me say a lot of times, What's he saying to you? Because if we're willing to listen, I promise you he'll talk to you. He talks to us all the time. We said not only time, but transparency. Why is it that we think that God doesn't know what we do behind closed doors and who we are? Why do we have a problem being honest with him and open with him of really what's going deep down inside of our hearts, the pain, the struggles, the sufferings, the joys? And then also submission. And we said last last week that our Heavenly Father stepped towards us and was fully committed to us before before we ever even thought about being committed to Him. That He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross. And that He said, I'm all in. Before you were ever born, He said, I'm all in. Before you ever entered the church doors, He said, I was all in. Before you ever were baptized, He said, I'm all in. Mutual submission mutual submission. Today uh, we're going to talk about the second core value. Um, it's a very interesting, interesting topic that we're going to talk about today um, because we're going to talk about relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. I mean, let me ask you a question to sort of start us out today. If you're a follower of Christ and you're here today, my question is this, do you believe that you have a responsibility to share the gospel with other people? The same good news that somebody told you about, the same good news that you received, do you believe that as a follower of Christ you have the same responsibility to share the gospel with, with another person that you come in contact with? And my question, if you believe that, then how do you go about sharing the gospel? I mean, how, how do you go about in your daily walk of life, how do you go about telling others about the hope that you yourself profess to believe? Um, you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier in the day and time that we live to make a point than it is to make a difference, isn't it? We, as believers during my time, um, and I, you maybe you've seen this, sometimes we've become a whole lot more adept in taking stands about certain issues um, or taking up certain fights for certain things because they're the right thing to do. And how many times do I agree about the things that they're standing up for, yet I disagree about the way they go about making the stand or trying to make the statement? Because how many times do we do we want to take a stand or do we want to make a statement about a certain issue that happens to be right, but we go about it the wrong way? And in the process, what we end up doing is bypassing or ostracizing the people that we have been called to reach out to. You know what I'm saying? Gail's like shaking her head. Yeah. I mean, how many times does that happen? I mean, here we are, we're at the church, and we've been called to reach those who don't know Christ, and we take a stand on a certain issue. And because of the way we go about it, the attitudes or the actions that we have a way of of handling it, we end up ostracizing or removing ourselves from the opportunity of reaching the people that we've been called to reach. How many times does that that happen? When we look at the Scriptures, one of the things that we'll see about the life of Jesus and also the Apostle Paul, we'll see this right here. They didn't always position themselves against the culture in which they were in. They didn't position themselves always against the Roman culture. Empire, but what we do see them positioning themselves against and speaking out against both of them were the Pharisees The people that said and thought that they had it all together. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but as a parent I'm a pretty good person at making a point in my home with my kids Aren't you good about telling them what's right and what's wrong? Yeah Let me tell you what's right. Let me tell you, you need to get that room cleaned up. Let me tell you how you need to get it done. This is what you need to do. You need to do this over here. You need to do that over there. And then you need to fix this over here. Because if you fix this, then this is over here is what will happen. And it's a whole lot easier a lot of times to make a point with people around us than it is to sit down with them and to show them what's right. Because making a point is one thing. Making a difference is going to require time. And it's going to require an awful lot of effort that some of us a lot of times don't want to give and when heritage was planted one of the things that we said was that we didn't just want to do church we didn't want to make statements and we didn't want to take stands about certain issues but one of the things that we did want to do is we did want to make a difference we wanted to engage people that didn't know the Lord That was the whole reason that Heritage was began, that we would not just be a church that would be collecting church people from other churches, but that we ourselves would be very active in speaking the gospel to those who did not know the gospel, and that we would be very active in reaching out to those that had gone to church yet had fallen away from church, that that we would be about making a difference, that we would be about building intentional relationships i was having a conversation with dean montre the other day dean is a uh, is down with our sixth graders and dean moved here from minnesota feeling the call that god was calling him to come and go into full-time christian service and so they ended up in the villages he and his he and his family and dean is now uh living in the villages and he drives back and forth to go into seminary Uh, down in orlando but dean and i were having a conversation the other day and this is the question that i asked him dean how do you think christianity spread after jesus and paul were off the scene i mean how in the world do you think that the gospel continued to grow and that it continued to spread after jesus and paul had left the scene? how did christianity become um so so much more accepted that by the time around 300 or so that it would be embraced by the culture. That the persecution would leave and that all of a sudden that the Roman Empire would embrace Christianity. How did that happen? How did that happen? See, their, their strategy wasn't proving to the lost how lost they were. Their strategy wasn't wasn't telling them all the things that they were doing wrong and trying to get them to come on, on board with their belief system. That wasn't it. But they build intentional relationships with people. And I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes. It's just going to blow your socks off. Because what was applicable to them then is still applicable for us today. And we find ourselves today having more churches, spending more resources and finances on buildings, and, and, and everything else, yet reaching fewer and fewer people. And if that's true, what is the answer? I want to be able to share that with you. But they built intentional relationships. One of the examples of that we find of Paul in Athens when he found himself in Athens while he was on one of his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 17. I think there is the, the discussion of this, and you can read it, but I'm going to end up in a minute in Matthew chapter 5 uh, in Colossians, um, if you just want to turn there while I'm babbling on. But here is, here is Paul in Athens in a, in a religious center, in a religious environment, uh, a center known for learning uh, philosophy. And, and here's Paul, who was an educated Jew who knew what the Scriptures had to say, and yet he finds himself in a place where there's worship of idols and there is is polytheism. There's the worship of many, many gods. And Paul knew what was going on was wrong. He was troubled. And the Bible said that he, was, he, he had an issue with this. He had a really big issue with this because he knew the consequences of what it was to go outside of what the law had to say. I mean, he knew what the scriptures had to say in reference to do not worship any other gods or do not make any idols. He knew what the consequences in reference to being disobedient was. But but Paul, he didn't remove himself from the people that he was trying to reach, but he earned the privilege to speak. Paul didn't come in and blast them. That's not what he did, but he engaged them in conversation because those people in that time, in that culture, they loved the conversations and they would sit around and they would talk about philosophy and they would talk about religion and they would talk about all of these issues. And so Paul knew exactly how to embrace them. He He went in and he engaged them in conversation. In the midst of the conversations, listen, he spoke the truth to them, but he did it in love. And you know, some of the people laughed at him, but there were those that listened. There were those that listened because they knew that what he was talking about, something was different. And they knew that he was different. And in the New Testament, one of the things that we see in reference to the Pharisees, the religious religious people who thought they had it all together, is they themselves removed themselves from the people that they should have been trying to reach out to whereas jesus on the other hand he would embrace the people you see, seen with all kinds of people that nobody else wanted anything to do the tax collector or the prostitute and he embraced him can you imagine the amount of ridicule that he experienced i mean can you imagine the things that he went through and he embraced them not because he agreed with them but he embraced them because he loved them and because he had something that he wanted to give them and this is what we know the church has its greatest impact when those of us that call ourselves believers live as believers, not when we condemn other people. That's not our position. The church has the greatest impact when those of us that call ourselves believers live as we've been called to live, not when we condemn. There are plenty of other examples that we can find in Scripture, but I want to go back to a couple things that we talk about. We use these passages of Scripture all the time These are very foundational for us, and we're going to talk about today what does it look like, what does it look like to reach out and embrace the people that God's called us to reach and embrace them through relational evangelism. Matthew chapter 5. This is what the scripture has to say. This is what Jesus has to say, and so let's read it today. Matthew chapter 5, he says, You, he's talking about those of us that are followers, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Had the moon been really bright the past few days? <laughs> it's been awesome. I mean, here it is the light, the light. To understand that the moon is only the reflection of the sun, isn't that right? Yeah. To understand how bright it is and and God takes us as his believers and he says that we are the light of the world that he takes us and he places us in a dark world he sets us up so that we can be light so that others might be able to see and he goes on to say that no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket when you light a light why are you lighting a light when I walk out of my car when I get out of my car in the middle of the night and the light is off in the garage, I've got two options. Number one, I'm, I'm going to trip over something because of all the junk we have in the garage. Okay, So I've either got to find my way to turn the light on. I've got to either mash the garage door opener where it's going to go down and then I've got to mash it so it'll go back up so I can turn the light on or I take my cell phone out and I hold it up. You guys ever done that before? Use the cell phone as a light. And he says here, he said, he said, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Why in the world would you want to light a light and then put something over the top of it so that you couldn't see? That's ridiculous. He said, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that as a, as a Christ follower, as a believer, Josh, why God has placed you where he's placed you? Or Jamie, why God has placed you where he's placed you? or Angela, where, or Mark, or any of us that are here, Bob, why God places us where He places us. You ever thought about where you live? See, you may think that you chose the place for you to live, and you may have. But do you ever thought that maybe God has specifically placed you there so that you could have an influence? that whatever community that you lived, that whatever business you were a part of, whatever job you had, whatever hobbies that you had, that your goal just wasn't doing whatever you were doing, but you had a responsibility, that God had called you to be a light. And that when you were a light, that God God would use you to have an impact and an influence on others that were there. Why in the world would you take a light and put a light in an already lit room? Doesn't make any sense. I remember one time I was, I was in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in an environment that was really dark. I was with the Sheriff's Department in Seminole County, and I got, had gotten called in one night to, to be a part of something that was taking place. And, uh, and I remember that event and, and the people that were involved. And there was a girl that was there um, that, that was part of this team, and she looked at me and she said, you're different than these other people. Meredith remembers this, and I've said it many times. And I said, what do you mean I'm different? She goes, I don't know, but you're different than these other people. And what she was trying to say eventually came out that I was a Christian. Have you ever thought about that maybe God's called you as, as he places you as a light into certain areas so that you can bring light and you can bring hope into places that they're dark, dark and hopeless? You know, when you build a house, where do you put lights? How? I mean, you put lights in places that you want to be able to see. God places us in places so that people can see us, so that we can reflect His glory. Look at what it says in verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds, let your good deeds not by what we hand them, not by what we tell them, not by a specific billboard or a track. Those things are great. But He said... He said, in the same way, let your good deeds, when we live as Christ calls us to live, our lives are attractional. When you're in a place of darkness and we're living for Christ, and we're being the example that God's called us to be, we're living as light. Our lives are attractional. It's attractional. And he says, and he says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father, your heavenly Father. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, when you treat people the way that you're supposed to treat people, and you act the way that you're supposed to act, in front of people as well, behind the scenes, you're going to have an influence. You're going to have an influence. But it's not going to be for your glory. It's going to be for, for his glory. And he goes on to say in verse 17, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I I came to accomplish their purpose. See, the law was given not by it so that we could be saved, but the law was given to point out our sin as well as show us how to live in relationship with God and in relationship with man. And by the time that, that we see Jesus in the New Testament, so much of what had been talked about was misunderstood and misquoted. And Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to bring truth to it. I came to fulfill it. Jesus didn't speak against the laws, but he spoke against the abuses of the law. But when we choose to live as God chooses for us to live, we make a difference. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 4 with me. And we've used this over and over again. This is one of those, you're going to hear it several times a year. Colossians chapter 4, this is what Paul said in reference, again, talking to believers. Live wisely live wisely among those of us, uh, live wisely among those who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity." Does that mean that we're not supposed to live wisely when in the presence of believers? No. But he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Why is it important for us to make the most of every opportunity When we encounter those who don't know the lord This is one of those participation questions What May never be given another chance to interact with them what happened who somebody said something over here What else? Why is it important for us to make the most of every opportunity when interacting with people that don't know the lord? Eternity. Eternity Has anybody in here ever had a conversation with somebody and you didn't know it was the last conversation? You ever been in a conversation and you thought to yourself, I'll get a chance to see them tomorrow or later? I think every one of us in here, if you've not, it will, it'll happen somewhere along the line. It'll be a family member, it'll be a friend, it'll be a neighbor, and all of a sudden you'll be hit with the news, and you would, you'll say this because I've said it before, I thought I had another chance. I thought I would have another opportunity. And what Paul said, he said, live wisely among those that are non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't waste it. You've got an opportunity to have a conversation with someone. Be wise in how you have that conversation. And look at what he says in verse 6. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Let it be gracious and attractive attractive. I think the, the New International Version says seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. What does a conversation look like that's seasoned with salt? My kids, uh, they, they tell me from time to time, Dad, you put too much salt in it. What happens when you put too much salt in something? It's too salty. It's like going, I can't eat this. This is too salty. Psh, I mean, I have, they'll tell me, from Dad, that's too salty. You put too much salt in it. But what happens when the salt is used and it's, and it's just right? It's seasoned and, it's, and, it's, and it flavors. I mean, how many times as believers do we might add too much salt to our conversations? I mean, how could that look? We had just a little bit too much, and all of a sudden, what could have been really good, good conversation, it could be attractive, all of a sudden becomes what? Get that away from me. I can't stomach that. That's too much. Way, way too much. See, we don't change people's lives by telling them all the things that they do wrong, do we? We don't change people's lives by pointing out that their lives are in shambles and that they need to change. We don't change people's lives because we set a boundary and we throw them out or tell them that we're going to write them off. That's not the way we change people's lives. But lives are changed through love. Through love. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So, so here's Jesus and here's Paul off of the out of the scene. Here's the believers. Over the next 300 years, the gospel would continue to grow to the point that it would eventually become accepted and they would embrace Christianity. How in the world did that happen? If you know anything about history, this is what you know that which took place. And I was again last night going back and rereading this. I got up this morning early to go back and reread because it's very, very interesting. During the next 300 years inside of the Roman Empire, there were some major plagues that took place. One around 150, another one somewhere around 250, 260. Um, and those plagues were extremely devastating. One they think might have been measles, the other one they think might have been smallpox. But when I mean devastating, I mean to the, to the point of five to 10,000 people a day dying. They said they were taking them out in caravans, the bodies, and burying them. That's a lot of people. Five to ten thousand people a day. So you've got the Christians, you've got the pagans, and guess who left the cities first? The people that had the resources to be able to do that. The people that were rich left. The pagan priests, they left. They didn't want anything to do with it. They left. Guess who stayed behind? many christians many christians stayed behind because they weren't afraid of death because of their relationship with the lord they stayed behind not only to take care of their own but they stayed and they also took care of the other pagans the people who didn't know the lord the 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 unbelievers and took care of and nursed them as well and even though many many died there were some some that were nursed back to health And guess what happened in the lives of those that were nursed back to health? What do you think ended up happening? Many of them became believers. Many of them became believers and became followers of Christ because of the generosity that had been been shown to them. So around 300 or so, Constantine says, Listen, man, it's out of here. We're going to embrace, there was an edict that took place, they're going to embrace Christianity. Uh, No more persecution After Constantine died, there was an emperor by the name of Julian. You can go back and read on him if you'd like to, but this is what you'll find about Julian. Julian says, listen, let's bring back paganism. Let's reinstitute paganism back into the culture, and as much as they tried, paganism would not get a grasp from then on out. For some reason, it just wouldn't take hold and as they did some research and as they looked, there was an evaluation that was made and there was a letter that Julian wrote and I want to read that letter to you. And this is an actual historical document. In that letter that Julian wrote, this is, this is what he says as he complains. Re- recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character, even if pretended, and their benevolence towards strangers. Let me read that again. This is, this is what he's saying back in that three to 400 year period. Uh, A.D. After Christ, he says, recent Christian growth, the rise of Christianity, is caused by their moral moral character. Have you ever thought of the Christians being known for moral character? Listen, don't tick me off, and don't aggravate me. I was with somebody this past week, and I, I heard something come out of their mouth that was a non-believer, and you know what they said? they said to me, and how in the world can that person call themselves a Christian by what they've done and how they live? And I thought, shame on us. You want to know why we don't have an influence? It's because we lack moral character in our communities these days. Recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character, even if pretended, even if they're pretending, and their benevolence toward strangers. Julian is saying, listen, man, Christian growth, the growth of Christianity, the rise of Christianity has taken place. Even if they're pretending, it's growing because of their moral character and their benevolence towards other people. And he said, we can't compete with them. And he goes on to say, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, the impious Galileans, and that's how he, that's how he, um, that's how he characterized the Christians... The impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. But it gets worse. The impious Galileans not only supported their poor, but ours as well. They just didn't take care of of their people. They took care of our people too. Everyone can see that they lack aid from us talking about their people. And that's out of a, a document called The Rise of Christianity. Christianity took hold in Rome not because of an outreach program it took place not because of a a new uh, of a a new uh, advertising campaign or crusade but Christianity took took hold because those that were believers lived as believers that's why it took hold and listen today do we happen to think that in the 21st century that if we were to act and live as believers that, that the response wouldn't be any different I'm telling you what Listen, if we were to be the people that God's called us to be, and if we were to act and respond, if we were to be people and men and women of moral character, if our kids were to be more of moral character when they went to school, don't you think that would be attractive? If those of us that were bosses and living in the workplace, if we were to be men and women of moral character, do you not think that that would have an influence? Yes. What about the employees? Don't you think that if an employee were to act... And to live in moral character instead of stealing from his boss, whether it be his time or on, his, on, his, on, his, uh, on the workplace, don't you think that it would have an influence? Yes, it would have an influence. And if the, we were benevolent towards people, as God's called us to be benevolent towards people, and if we were to be known for being generous, don't you think that would have an influence? Yes. Listen, it's no different in the 21st century than what it was back in the 1st century. It's no different. If we were to live as Jesus called us to live, it would open the door of people's hearts because they know that we care. And we're the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're the hands and the feet of Jesus. When Jesus had dinner with the tax collector, don't you think that the people questioned his intentions? Yes, they surely did. They questioned his integrity. And I bet you that they wondered, okay, I wonder which side this Jesus is really on. But Jesus embraced him, and he spent time with him, not because he agreed with his lifestyle, but he spent time with him because he had something that he wanted to offer him. And it was hope. It was hope. He built an intentional relationship with people because he sought to seek and save those that were lost, not just hang out with saved people. He loved them. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was about. He was about his father's business. He was about his father's business. Are you about your father's business? Are you just living life one day at a time, trying to keep your head above water? Or do you see yourself as a light in the world, making the most of every opportunity that you have? How do you see yourself? See, the message that we have is this, Melvin, that, that, that God has done something, that he sent his son, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world that he would die for us, and that whosoever believed would not perish but have eternal life. There's a message that we have, Lori, and that you have a responsibility as a follower to be able to share that message. But there's also a mission, and that mission is to take the gospel into the ends of the earth. But you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find unsaved non-believers, people that don't know the Lord. See, (laughs) this is what I know. That Matt, you probably work with one. And Sean, you probably live near one. That's the way it is. Our kids go to school with kids who don't know the Lord. Yes, there are people in Nicaragua that don't know the Lord, but that's not our main priority. Our main priority is here, in our Jerusalem, in our workplace, in our homes, on the ball fields, in our places of work, that's our first priority. When's the last time that you've longed and you've yearned and you've hurt over the people around you that did not know Christ? Does that really enter your mind? Pastor Charles used to always say this, I think it went something like this, when's the last time you tried to lead somebody to the Lord, talk to them about Christ, and then he would come back and say, when's the last time it even mattered to you? Yeah. See, if I'm gonna be about my father's business, I need to understand that I've got a responsibility. And then in this day and time, people don't care so much about what you say, They want to see how you live. And if you live it out, it's going to open up all kinds of doors. I ask you this question as we close. If we've got a message, and we've been given a responsibility to share, with whom are you building an intentional relationship with to share Christ? If we have a message, and you believe it to be hope, If we have a mission to share that to the world around us, with whom are you building an intentional relationship with to share Christ? Will you bow your heads? While your heads are bowed, this is what I know. I know that every one of us are surrounded by people that don't know the Lord. Do you hurt, ache, yearn for them to know Christ as you know Christ? How can we have something that's life-changing, life-sustaining, and choose to hold it and not share it? My challenge to you today is that this next week, And for the rest of your life, this is going to be something that's on your mind. With whom are you building an intentional relationship with to share Christ? Or are you just hanging out with church people, feeling good and gaining more knowledge? What are you doing? Because if we're going to be about our Father's business, it's going to cause us to step outside the bounds of where we are to care for people that others may not care about. It's going to cause us to step outside the bounds and maybe do some things that are just maybe not so popular. It's gonna cause us to embrace people, not because of what they do, but it's gonna cause us to embrace people because we love them and we have hope for them. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and that this week that you would begin taking a look, that you wouldn't be afraid, not be afraid that you might do something or say something wrong, but if you just live as Christ called us to live, to be the light and to have the voice and that your conversations be full of grace to make the most of every opportunity. I pray that you'll be faithful in that this week. That over the course of the next few weeks that you might engage somebody in a conversation, get to know them. And the reason you wanna get to know them is because you wanna be able to share with them the hope that lies within you. Father, I thank you for for placing us as a church here in in this vicinity. You've brought us here, not just because of a building, but you've brought us here to be your people, to live as a light in this community so that others may be drawn to you. I pray, Father, that we'd be faithful with the responsibility we have of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'd be faithful not just talking about it, trying to make a stand or make a point about a certain issue, but that we would understand that you've called us to make a difference and we make a difference in the strong impact when we choose to live as you've called us to live. I pray you'd bring to our minds this next week people that we can maybe reach out to, that we can embrace. Give us strength in that. Maybe even give us the name or the face right now of somebody I know that's around us, that, uh, that, that, that they're struggling and they're a non-believer, somebody that I can, I can intentionally go to. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, Lord, I pray that even maybe this morning they would come and say, would you tell me more about this Jesus that died on a cross for me, that cared so much for me, that they were committed to me before I ever, ever knew them. Father, now I pray that as we leave these, leave outside and we walk outside of these doors, that we would go and we would be your ambassadors. That we would live as you've called us to live, that we would be be your people. And, Father, that we would understand the responsibility we have to be your light. Encourage us this week by something that we see that only you could do. Do something that's so unbelievably you that we would go, wow, that's God. May our faith be encouraged this week. May our faith be encouraged because, Father, many times our faith weakens. But may you strengthen us this week and may we notice that you're at work And may we go and brag about the great things that you're doing. Not just about a church or an individual. May we be about your business. In Jesus' name.